The information in this podcast is not intended to be used as the primary basis of investment decisions. Any forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ or other factors may change. Welcome to Making Sense, the podcast for anyone interested in diving into the investing and startup space. Hosted by us, Emma and Carmen. We are interns at Red Thread Ventures, an investment and advisory firm based in Vancouver. From interviews to startup advice, we will take you on our journey as we learn more about the finance industry. With that being said, let's get right into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. It's another week, which means we have another special guest. Today we have Mark Wandler, the CEO and co-founder of Sustainable, a Vancouver-based health food company. Sustainable leverages technology and partnerships to create an upcycled barley flour from what was previously considered waste in the beer industry. He is continually redefining what it means to have a sustainable business model with a vision to create a world where food waste and diabetes are a thing of the past. Additionally, he has led his company through raising over $140,000. So to kick things off, Mark, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Um, We noticed that you're also a UBC grad, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about that too? Yeah, no, my time at UBC is actually where Sustainable was born. So first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I like to say my three-second pitch is Sustainable turns beer waste into baked goods and baking mixes. Um, And that gathers a ton of attention. My time at UBC was amazing. I actually came to UBC for the MBA program specifically because of their positioning on sustainability and they were trying to be a sustainable program and build that kind of network there. And the West Coast life is obviously, I think what brings everybody to Vancouver is it's a beautiful city. It's got a beautiful vibe to it. So that's what brought me out here. Uh, Prior to that, I was actually a Western Ontario alum, but I was born and raised in Alberta. I took kinesiology. I have a very interesting background. So my undergrad was at like, I found a slow pace. So I ended up playing poker online during my undergrad. And I actually paid for my education that way. Um, during (laughs) class, which was, I don't recommend people do it, but I did it. (laughs) I was also an avid soccer player. So I almost, I had the opportunity to go semi-pro in Europe, but my parents wanted me to follow academia. So I ended up following the scholarships. Um, And then after that, I worked in both healthcare with Alberta Health Services, as well as WestJet. So I guess the one thing I have is I've always been pretty competitive and I have like this crazy work ethic. So entrepreneurship was always meant to be at some point. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I think you touched on a little bit of everything there. Um, There's just so many different experiences that you've had. And also I think um, coming over to the West Coast, I definitely see where you're coming from with this like environmental standpoint. That's something that I love about being here, being so close to nature all the time. So for a company that is um, turning beer waste into Uh, a new product, a health food product. I think that's a very great location to kind of start that off and kick that off. And solder, especially, we're in our first years right now. And we took a environmental and sustainability class. um, And there's these um, programs that we can follow all the way through through our undergraduate in that aspect. So that's something that I kind of love there. But you touched a little bit on poker. I'd love to hear more about that experience and how it kind of kicked off your educations and helped you decide uh, where you want to go. 
Yeah, poker was interesting because it was it was literally just something like I started playing with friends on the soccer team on road trips. And then one of them introduced me to online poker because I was like winning the tournaments between the teammates. And he was probably, me and him were the best players on the team, poker players, not soccer players. Although, yeah, anyways, different story. So then he introduced me to online poker and I was like, I've never been somebody to like spend money, tons of money on gambling and stuff. So I was like, oh, there's free tournaments and you can actually win, win money from them. So I entered them during class just to like, make sure my attention span was like in two places rather than like I find if I was like having conversations with people it would be way like then I wouldn't pay any attention to class but yeah I ended up winning ten dollars and I turned it into twenty five thousand dollars over the course of my time which was pretty crazy but it does teach you a lot of things like you have to be patient you have to know you have to make a lot of decisions on imperfect data which is like something you have to do as an entrepreneur you can't wait online poker you're on like a timer you're constantly being exposed to like moving tables in the tournaments and stuff like that. So it's, it's, yeah, there's that competitive spirit. There's a lot of things that you learn to be comfortable with. You learn to deal with and manage money. So you decide what kind of stakes you want to play, what tournaments, how much to invest at a given point and decide when to go all in and when to fold. So kind of a lot like business in a way. Yeah, that, that definitely aligns very closely to entrepreneurship right now. Uh, what about some of your other experiences? Like, um, working for WestJet, um, playing soccer, how do those kind of affect um, where you're at with your business right now and your entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, so before sustainable soccer, I always say it was like my biggest passion. That's kind of why I pursued kinesiology. It's basically learning movement of the body and I loved kind of doing it. So I wanted to understand it more and I've always been kind of health motivated. Through soccer, I think I learned a lot about leadership, but also a lot about what it means to be on a team because I came from being like, I guess the higher up in soccer you get or the higher up in any sport, you go from like playing at a level where you might be the best on the team, but every time you level up, you're starting to be like, okay, you got to get, you got to grind it out. You got to learn new things if you want to keep rising to the top. So that that's been fun. But then there's also, there's that competitiveness within the team. And then there's the competitiveness is you have to work together. And my biggest thing on the soccer field that coaches quickly realize is I could play any position pretty much other than goalie. But they could put me anywhere on the field and I was effective. So I'd learned the position. I knew how to feed off the teammates. So yeah, I almost always have been a starter on teams that I've played on. But if like one of our defenders went down, center, center midfield was my position. But if a defender went down, we ha- might have a better center midfielder than defender option. So they would move me back to defense. And I've always been the team player. And that's kind of how I approach being a CEO too is I want to make everybody on the team as strong as they could possibly be. With WestJet, that's where I learned about creating like an amazing customer experience. I learned about branding and how important that can be. And I learned about culture and empowerment. So I say I kind of stole that value from them because they taught it and I think they did it very well. I think it's kind of gone to the wayside a little bit, but they did a great job in my first few years of empowering you and not making the decision for you as the employee. So your supervisor would often coach you and say, well, what would you like to do? What do you think is the proper approach? Because I think everybody has that with within them. They always want to find out like, where are the guidelines I'm, that I'm playing within? I don't want hard lines, but I want to know that I can go above and beyond sometimes um, if the situation requires it. And so that's what I kind of encourage a lot of folks to do. And I think a lot of people really gravitate towards working with us and that's probably one of the things they love the most it's challenging the first month because 
a lot of people aren't used to it. They're like, no, I want the answer. And it's like, I'm not giving you the answer. You're gonna, you're gonna come up with the answer that's most appropriate from your perspective. So yeah, that was, and, but my main thing about working for WestJet was I was there to travel. So I worked eight different positions. I ended up going from my favorite position, which was a regular operations manager. So when like a snowstorm hit and we had a thousand people like super upset, I was in charge of like solving that problem uh, efficiently and as fast as possible. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but then I went to be a flight attendant because I hadn't traveled enough. And I was like, that job had the most flexibility. And I spent probably half my time in Hawaii, which is like another amazing place on earth. And I highly recommend people visit. <laughs> so you definitely have a very well-rounded background. And just going back to like soccer a little bit, I think it's a great example of how extracurriculars can really help in your work life as well, especially with sports, learning about discipline, leadership, and collaboration. So even in school, like I always tell people it's such a great um, way to really just learn and just become involved yourself. But transitioning the conversation a bit, uh, where did the idea for Sustainable come from and how did it really just come into fruition? Yeah, so I've always, like I came from a healthcare background and this is specifically why I didn't talk about my Alberta Health Services because it always inlines best with Sustainable. So that's why when I worked at WestJet, I also worked at Alberta Health Services, but I was junior. So with the government, you kind of like get in a job and then you like try and work your way up from a casual especially when you're a like kinesiologist or something like that so i ended up working uh for two years with a pilot project fighting childhood obesity and trying to come up with community strategies to do that and then i transitioned into a role with uh chronic health and i worked with a lot of diabetics um and so them in particular like a lot of it came down to they weren't eating the proper diet and they weren't exercising enough. So I worked on the exercise part, but I got to work closely with the dietitians. And a lot of people know that they shouldn't eat a lot of sugar, but a lot of people didn't know that they needed to eat way more fiber and because they both act the same. So fast forward to me going to UBC and there's a tech entrepreneurship class. And one of the other fellow, my fellow MBAs came from the beer industry and he said, hey, breweries in Vancouver dealing with this problem of spent grain, like waste disposal is going up, like the cost to deal with it. And he th he's like, I think we can do something with this byproduct. So let's do something with that as part of the class. So from that, like immediately in my head, I was like, this should be food because the sugar went into the beer, the protein, fiber, and minerals are what's left behind. And everything that we need to be reincorporating back into our diets is what's there. So that led into a very iterative process to where Sustainable is today. If you looked at us kind of, I think three years ago this month was our incorporation date when we incorporated the company. But we'd started it January 2018, I want to say. Uh, that was when the school project started. So that's when that idea kind of came to fruition. And yeah, it's been kind of just keep iterating ever since. I say the cookie, the reason we started with a cookie, because people often ask, are you a cookie company? Or are you a flower company? Like what type of company are you? I'm like, we're a circular economy food company. Like, so we can be any of those things. But the cookie is just something that's like super familiar to people and is easy to get into people's mouths. So it kind of crosses cultures. We ended up on the favorite one, which ended up being chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate's pretty much transitions across many cultures as well. But yeah, and it also has to do with the story back when I was with Alberta Health Services. I had two clients in particular, these older men with diabetes. And I was like, so 
tell me like have, has your diet improved and just like doing kind of discovery with them and they'd be like yeah no my diet like it's improved drastically blah 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 and the wife would always be in the interviewer in the other room and she'd be like yeah but he can't lay off the cookies it happened twice and I was like okay cookies is what it is we're gonna start with cookies <laughs> that's awesome I actually um do social media marketing on the side for a smoothie company a smoothie vegan health food um store and um, that's something that I see a lot when I'm in the shop as well. People um, can't give up some, some certain taste sweets, uh, fish and chips. So in addition to doing like the smoothie, sometimes we're like, oh, let's try to see how we can reinvent this food. Let's reinvent ice cream. Let's reinvent this stuff. So I love to see that you're doing that as kind of aligning. But do you think you could kind of elaborate a little bit more? Like, how are you actually turning this beer waste into food that you can eat? Yeah. So the biggest thing, like it's actually being done in a lot of places at once, but it's the key, the key part for us is turning it into that flour first. So that creates the shelf stable product. So that's where technology has come a long way. Uh, a lot of people think that, okay, let's go and reinvent and do another form of technology. We did it a little bit differently. We went out and searched like who's got the technology out there and what can they do with it? Um, and so we found a bunch of tech. We've actually done a lot of pilots uh, with covid COVID actually was like a double-edged sword for us, but we got to pilot out with a lot of people in different uh, countries and stuff like that because we, we actually started evaluating tech all over the world. This, the tech in Vancouver became expensive and we had some time to kind of reevaluate things. And so we found some other tech companies that were doing it and they could actually do it more affordably, which is great. So we're at the stage of where we need to basically do, uh, start our own upcycling, dedicated upcycling facility where we can dehydrate that grain as fast as possible to then be able to mill it and turn it into that shelf stable product. Once you have flour, I'd say like that's an ingredient that everybody kind of knows how to work with. We can start creating recipes and go from there. So that's the, that's the key part of our business is actually creating that flour. Just quick question. Is the flour like a perfect substitute to regular all-purpose flour then? Or is there different ingredients and different things that you would do with it? Nope. So depending on the baked good, we, we recommend putting in different amounts. So when we sell the upcycled barley flour itself, on the back of the pack, it says we recommend substituting 10 to 20% of your other fiber. Um, but that's why we're doing the mixes. And the mixes tend to be more popular because people are so time-strapped. The more ingredients you can put in there, the less they have to buy. And then the less chance they have who out there has bought something just to make one recipe and then the rest of it's gone bad right so let's just make it easy for folks and make sure there's less food waste by giving them just the amount that they need to mm -hmm. awesome um and you said flour cookies are there any other products that you guys are currently selling right now um yeah here i'm getting i got the cookie mix right here for our viewers i guess <laughs> people are just listening but i'm holding up the chocolate chip cookie mix um we have a pancake and waffle mix. So we're actually, this one's kind of the one that gets showcased the most on social right now because it's Vancouver, it's summertime. And honestly, most people don't want to turn on their ovens during the summer, which is fair. Uh, a waffle iron doesn't heat up the house quite as much. So yeah, we've, get, we've been showcasing that one. We're going to release um, a recipe. So one of the best things that I say in terms of taste-wise that the flour does is it acts as like a bit of a flavor enhancer. Fiber grabs flavors really well. And so we're going to make, there's this like zucchini garlic cheese waffle that we made, like infused right in. So it's savory. It was so good. So we're going to start playing around with that a little bit and start releasing a little bit of recipes for that. And then in the fall, we're going to be releasing our fourth skew, which I guess I'll leak right now, banana bread. 
mix, which is my favorite. It's so good. Yummy, you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been craving pancakes for a while, so might be on the grocery list soon. <laughs> but earlier you were talking about how sustainable is really just a circular economy. So can you speak a little bit more about the impact side of your business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that one came to light really early. It's kind of funny because we sell a lot like sustainable. It's a play on sustainable. And so we, we sell a lot on our sustainability side. But like for me, when I first discovered this business, it was all around health and health of like the individual and the fact that fiber needed to be in their diet. Um, but I quickly learned that our differentiator is the sustainability aspect. Uh, food waste is so prevalent nowadays. And so that's what the circular economy is all about. So it's transitioning from a linear economy, which is what traditionally it is. It's basically linear is focused on one thing alone. It's for profit. They'll take a resource, use it up, and then they forget about it once it's been sold and stuff like that. The circular economy is like taking it one step further. You're, you're taking in mind all the other resources that are involved in the process. So you want it's the three P's, people, profit, planet. So you're combining all three of them and you're focused on all three. Um, and we always talk about the three pillars of the circular economy. So designing out waste, uh, keeping materials in use, and then regenerating natural systems. So people always ask, it's like, oh, are you, you, you're a true circular economy company. And I was like, at our size right now, I define us as we're creating circularity within a linear, linear system. When we can launch that facility, that's when I will truly think that we'll be closer to being a circular economy company. Because in my opinion, we're not regenerating natural systems yet. Um, one of the things I wanna do when we get our own facility is try and help breweries um, seek out organic grains. So to keep out, and then that we can start saying that we're doing that regenerating natural systems part. Um, but right now we're only conquering two of the three pillars. I'm okay with that because we're doing a pretty good job and we're building it. And that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur is slowly layer them in and, and build from there. But um, yeah, that's my, my take on the circular economy, especially within the food space. Awesome. What's your timeline looking like right now uh, for building that third part? Um, is it on the near to-do list or? So we need the facility first and that's probably been the most challenging piece of building something in Vancouver, uh, real estate. Yeah. <laughs> real estate is an interesting beast and I'm really trying my best. Like we may have to go a little bit further out, but the biggest problem with this resource is in, in the city core. So there's a lot of craft breweries in the city core. Farmers can traditionally use it um, as feed, but they need to get it really quickly and they don't, they can't come into the city to grab it. There's also the transportation costs, both environmental and economic. And so the best place we can have the most impact is actually creating a system in the city. Um, timelines, I'm, honestly, it's COVID and I, I feel like I can't give an honest timeline because it's like add two years to it, but hopefully we ac accomplish it sooner. And yeah, the right partner can accelerate it at any moment. So hopefully somebody who's listening thinks they're the right partner and reaches out. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, one other thing that you kind of touched on there, um, and I also noticed from your LinkedIn page is your quote, health before wealth. Um, I, I really find that kind of cute. Um, and I was wondering how a quote like that and maybe some of your other personal values have influenced um, your decision making and your vision behind sustainable. Yeah, 
So health before wealth is like, and it's kind of funny because I, I often say the last year with COVID has probably been the first year that I can't say that I've been like done the best part of focusing on health. Cause it was like, it was a struggle. A lot of the stuff that I do is like around exercising and around team, team sports has been like a lot, a big outlet for me. And so I couldn't do any of that. I, I've joked, <laughs> yeah, I've joked around a little bit saying, I'm like, well, this should let us know what we've done to animals with zoos because we literally just caged ourselves for a year and we didn't do so well either. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've, before that, it's all my decisions were, I didn't fully plan out everything. So I'm like a planner, but I leave a lot of room for other things. And like another quote I use is I do everything accidentally on purpose. So if I constantly like feel like I need to do it, if in my gut, like I start doing something else and it keep, I keep getting drawn back to the same thing, which is kind of what sustainable was, that's where, that's where I go and I start focusing. And so that's where kind of during COVID, we had to make a decision. It's like a lot of our sales channels went down. A lot of our partners closed down for a period of time and stuff like that. We were focused on food service at the time. And so, um, and like university food service was on our agenda to actually go into and universities shut down and we saw they were going to be closed for a while. So then I had to make the decision, do we like wrap this up? Because we were literally weeks away from raising like a quarter million dollars that wasn't going to go through and we chose not to take the money. They also said they weren't going to give it to us after we chose not to take it. So that was good. But yeah, it's, it was kind of that. And back to the personal values question, I try and incorporate a little bit of mine. Um, some of the founders stuff made it in. Another one for me is like fun. I'm like, if something's not fun, like we shouldn't do it. There's a little bit of that. My favorite part of the packaging is actually on the bottom where we, there's like a little bit of joke about poop and fiber. Cause it's kind of like that. And it's like talking about how, like if we're being too cheeky, but look at our bottom or you're checking out our bottom. So we incorporate a little bit fun here and there. We wish we could do more. Sometimes we're a little bit exhausted. So we want to make room for us. Um, but we're lo loving the fact that things are opening up because I'm all about like collaborating. And that's like another one of our values. Uh, I already talked about empowerment. And I think the one we struggle with the most right now of our values and like I personally struggle with is accountability because again like back to timelines people give you a timeline it's not on time and then you're at their mercy and especially as a small business like big businesses can't meet their timelines right now and so when I'm talking to some of the like advisors and investors and I'm just like yeah we're not going to make the timeline and they're like well what can you do about it I'm like nothing like it's out of my control this big company is not going to get it to me in time and there's really nothing I can do, so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely love the packaging, by the way. And speaking of fun, what, as a CEO, what is your favorite and least favorite part about running your own company? And as well, what does a typical day look like for you? All right, well, I don't think there is a typical day. Um, the CEO in the startup world is like, you do what needs to be done. There's this weird part where you have to almost be like laser focused, but as long as, as soon as you get, like you gain some time back, you almost should be planning on like, okay, what are the things on the to-do list? What are a few that I can cancel off for me? And like completing anything gives me like this renewed energy. So if I'm feeling like down, I'll start doing like a couple of really tiny projects so that like I complete them. 
if I'm having like a really good day, I'll usually do a lot more outreach because uh, that can be a little bit time consuming and energy consuming, especially like the cold calling type of stuff. But yeah, no, I, I gotta say CEO, like to be a CEO, um, so many people have said it, but you need to get good at sales and not just selling like your product, but selling everything, selling a vision, selling selling somebody on working, coming and working for you and what the, what your your company values are. So you're constantly selling, selling yourself through a podcast, for example. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's stuff like that. And that's the biggest thing in a CEO. Uh, so in terms of fun, like I love doing these podcasts. I love sharing about the company. That's probably one of the funnest things is we have like a model that's pretty easy to understand. And that's like my favorite thing is when people on the street even or in the elevator, they'll be like, oh yeah, what do you do? And I'm like, I turn beer waste into baked goods. And it immediately, like, they're so curious. And that's what I often say. I'm like, I try and teach entrepreneurs coming behind me. One of the things you need to learn to do in your three second pitch is get curiosity and confusion. Your 30 second pitch should be clarity. So you should be able to get those three C's in, in 30 seconds. But the first two, C, the first two C's are what you do in three seconds. You should not be building clarity because if somebody is, gets clarity, then they don't like, it's not, in not a, interesting. Right? It's no interest. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's almost that shock value. And I'm good, good at that. And so I love doing that. Like I love shocking and delighting the word, like the, the hardest challenge or the worst part. Um, honestly, navigating COVID was the worst part. Uh, it was the first time, like we did a very good job of being forward thinking, uh, predicting everything that would kind of come our way. And then a pandemic hit. So who really predicts a pandemic? And yeah, we were like, I guess you're, you're working at a VC. So, you know, like when founders are get close to closing, like they're exhausted because they've really put so much effort into it. And so we were like exhausted and COVID hit and we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And yeah, I did, I did the opposite of what most founders kind of, or CEOs probably would have done. I said, let's take three weeks. We're going to watch what the market does. Like, we're just going to close up. And like our partners have had to close and we're just going to watch and we're going to see my two co-founders. Literally, I, I developed my first ever bout. It was three second bout of anxiety. And I was like, this is awful. Like, this is terrible. And the other two were like, just reeling with it. And I'm just like, you need to turn off the news right now. Like stop. Cause that's what was doing it. They were constantly like looking at the news and it was just with COVID when it first hit, it was bad news, bad news, bad news. And you can only take so much of that before your mental health kind of gets into this headspace, right? And so that's where I was just like, I don't want to hear it. I went for a walk and I was just like, yeah, but I've always kind of been that optimistic outlook. And so I just put myself in spaces where if there's too much negativity, I'll like leave that space for a little bit and then I can try and turn it around, but I got to be in the right headspace too. Yeah, definitely COVID, the biggest challenge for us all. But I really liked how you said you just kind of took a step back with your team and kind of just evaluated the situation and waited it out a little bit. I think that was a really smart decision. And especially with that, you get such a bigger picture thinking. But um, yeah, so you overcame COVID, I guess, and we're still trying to overcome it. But what's some advice you have for business professionals and entrepreneurs now about adapting to challenges there's times when you're gonna like not know what to do and I think that's a good time to to do those things take a step back take a breather 
I always say, like, if you can't solve a problem in the moment, give it 24 hours, like reflect on it. Don't make a hasty decision in those times. You have to have confidence behind your decisions. So it's better to go all in on something than to do everything kind of half-assed. And so that's what I say, even at markets or like when we're out selling, I'll, I'll tell our sales staff, I'm like, I'd rather you have one like amazing hour where you put everything out there because that hour you can sell so much if you're giving it your all. Like if it's a bad day, I was like, just, just give it an hour. Cause there's also like, if, especially if you, if you give that hour at the beginning, you're going to get like a little bit of momentum and you're going to get that tail momentum off of it. So that's the biggest thing. Like if you're having a really crappy day and it's like, it just keeps seeming like it's getting crappier, take a step back. Like it might mean you need to take a break. It might mean you need rest. And as soon as you get like this, like gut feeling that it's like, oh, I need to tackle this or I need to need to get this done. Almost, if you feel like you're not in the right mindset to get it done, start writing down and creating a list because eventually you're going to get that energy back. And then you're, you're going to be able to tackle those things a lot faster when you're feeling better than when you're feeling like crap. But that's one of the things um, I shared with other entrepreneurs during COVID is they're having trouble sleeping. They're having trouble doing this. And I was like, it's because you're working from home. Your workspace is the same. You're constantly feeling like you need to do more. I'm like, so before going to bed, mind dump. Like mind dump, write down what, you're, what you feel like you need to do. If you're in bed and something else comes up, you're gonna not stop thinking about it until you write it down. The minute you write it down, you're like, cool, I will remember it tomorrow now. And it's almost gives you permission to let go. So those are a few ideas. There's more, but. I think that's a really big challenge that a lot of um, uh, early entrepreneurs have to kind of wrap their head around because when you're starting a business, that's your baby, right? Um, you you want to put your time into it. You want to make sure that it's taking off and it's going to be a success. You don't want to go in halfway, but if you're sacrificing your mental health in exchange, for putting everything you, uh, every time, every second into it. It's, it's a tricky line, right? It's a hard balance right there. Um, even working in private equity, we're, we're not running our own business, but um, it's, it's always on. The computer screen is always on. There's always something to do, a different task. Uh, we were hired in as um, to do the marketing, except for when there's administrative task comes our way. When it, it, It's not like a big business, right? You have to be willing to adapt, but then it, it's a tricky balance, right? <laughs> how, how do you deal with some of that stress? um on your daily basis so one of the things is like knowing that like it doesn't it, having these different expectations of like and evaluating what needs to be perfect and what doesn't so like customer facing stuff to me like should be as close to perfect as you can possibly get it but internal documents and stuff like that like I tell people all the time especially when we're working behind the scenes I'm like I don't care about like fluffy emails if you're sending me like operationalize it don't worry about making it like you can be direct. And so I give people that permission because it saves so much time. In terms of how I deal with stress, it literally depends on the day. So there's days where I'm so bloody exhausted that like the, the first thing I do when I get home is I go to sleep because my body physically can't do anything else. There's other days where I get home and I'm like, I feel tired, but my body aches so much that I literally, if I lie down, all I'm going to think about is how, how my body aches. So then on those days, I'll be like, I have like a 20 to 30 minute stretch stretching routine. And I have like this Dr. Ho thing that I'll put on a couple muscles to like, I have that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's been super critical during COVID for these neck muscles from being on a screen all the time. Mm -hmm. oh um, <laughs> so that's, that's another thing I do. Sometimes it's like, 
I've gone the whole day and you realize that it's like, oh my God, I haven't eaten anything today or I haven't I've like consumed 200 calories and I need way more. So I'll literally like gorge myself. So every day is different. Um, but like, I guess that's what I do at the end of every day is I like, I try and unwind some days and earlier than others. I don't operate on like, I need to have a nine to five schedule. I think as an entrepreneur, that's ridiculous. You're going to sometimes have energy. I, like they, t- they say like, manage your money in entrepreneurship. I'm like, and then they, when you get better at it, they're like, manage your time. For me, I'm like, the most important thing is manage your energy. So when you're like, when you have something to give, give it and give it, if you're ready, like give it for your business. Um, if you see a teammate who's like lacking energy and, and you seem to have time and you're like, I have stuff, like you always have stuff to do, but it's like asking my co-founders, like what, what's on your to-do list? Cause like they look drained and they'll be like this. And like some of those things I'm like, I'm better at than you. So I'm like, let me take that and that off your list. You've just re-energized them and it's gone like twice as far. So those are kind of some of the biggest things, but I think the biggest thing an entrepreneur needs to learn to do is manage their energy levels. It sounds like um, having your co-founders around really helps with that work-life balance. Is there anyone else like a mentor um, that you can thank for where you're at today? All right. So I have the opposite problem of most people. I have too many mentors. I had a conversation with some of my advisors about that. Um, so I've been streamlining those, but yeah, no, there's so many people to thank. There's like businesses to thank, like Van City and, and UBC Solder have been amazing in constantly sharing out the story. Um, the farmers markets bodies, like personal ones. I, I, I don't know. Like I want to use names, but I also don't because then I'm going to leave somebody out and they're going <laughs> to reach out. But yeah, no, there's been some amazing, amazing people who have helped along the journey. Um, my family has been incredible. Uh, that's probably been like the toughest thing during COVID. Like I would go back or I would see my family, they would come out here. So that's kind of one thing I'm super excited about for August. My, uh, I can't wait to see my nieces and nephews. They're like some of the biggest fans of the product. And, uh, we're going to go make some waffles and some cookies in Windermere with them for a week. So I'm like, I can't wait for that. But, uh, yeah, no business mentors. Like if you're at UBC Solder, all I'll say is network, network, get to know people. Um, a mentor, and in my mind, a mentor relationship, you should, as a mentee, you still have something to teach them. So anybody who's, who's willing to, to have a one-on-one conversation and wants to learn a little bit from you, but you can learn something from them. That's a good relationship to have. And that's kind of been why I have had too many mentors. Like everybody's like, this is cool. I want to learn more about your business. And then I'm like, I want to learn more about how you built yours. And so this is perfect. (laughs) But yeah, no, I started having to be like, okay, I'm being sent in 20 different directions. And now I need to decide which directions I want to go down and then like just double down on those, those relationships. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the things I love about Solder too, is all of the amazing networking and mentorship opportunities and having such a strong support system is so important. It's, and I think COVID just further reinforced that even more, but moving into more investing and like raising capital, the side of things, we noticed that you recently closed an investment round on Kickstarter. So could you elaborate a bit more on that experience and why you chose that path to take and how is crowdfunding different than, you know, raising capital from a traditional um, VC? 
Yeah, so crowdfunding, the main difference from crowdfunding, and I think everybody should realize this when they're getting into it, is crowdfunding is at the intersection of marketing and fundraising. So it's not just fundraising, it's, it's you're doing a lot of marketing direct to consumer. You're selling product instead of selling investment. And the reason, the biggest reason we did it, we actually like kind of rushed it too, is because I was looking at Front Funder as an avenue and kind of going back on the last question of mentorship is before I do anything, I actually reach out to people who've done it before. And so I reached out to three founders who'd done crowdfunding before. Uh, one had done Front Funder, uh, two had done traditional crowdfunding. So I reached out to all of them, got their perspective on it, got some tips and feedback on what to do what not to do, um, which is sometimes even more important. And then the best piece of advice I had from, because we were actually, the one we were seriously evaluating the most was front funder, so doing an equity crowdfunding. And the one who did that is like, well, we did do a, a Kickstarter first. And I was like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah. And they were like, I would highly recommend doing that because it's a smaller stage. You're doing it with just product. You're not doing it, doing it with equity for your company. And you're going to learn so much from it and so many mistakes that you'll make. You won't make when you do a front funder one, if you choose to still do a front funder one after you've done Kickstarter. So that's kind of where we're at now. The learnings from it, like I go into everything with like almost five or six things that I want to accomplish. So we created some amazing marketing material that's now going to be able to be used for the, like the next five or six months which as an entrepreneur, and if you guys are in charge of the marketing, you know, like coming up with that content when it's already kind of created in the pipeline, you just have to go in and look for things, um, can save a lot of time. And it can like, when you're like, I need to do a post and it's just like, look through, oh, okay, this is what I'll do. So having that content is great. It's also great for sharing with retailers and stuff. It helps our retailer push because we had a successful campaign. So people know that our market, like our branding's out there a little bit more. It, went really well there's some things that didn't go well so one of the things we had put out that we wanted to get into retailers and two days into the kickstarter campaign a bunch of people ordered clinton wasn't in town so he's usually in charge of production and so we had to produce a ton of product and i was like basically my schedule was supposed to be all about the kickstarter and i had to basically go offline I would literally post like one or two things a day and then I would head and produce product for like 10 hours um, and work on that so I was able to do a little bit less than what I wanted to do there's always going to be things like that we got to work with a marketing firm which was nice so learning experience there um, but yeah anybody who wants to do one I'd say like do do your research first we were, we're an interesting case because usually you're doing it with like a new product and it's used to launch a product and we already had product in market. So we did have people instead of the Kickstarter, they would literally just go on the website and order product from the website. So that was interesting too. Uh, <laughs> they're like, I get it faster if I order from the website. And I was like, it's true. I'm like, you don't get a couple of the added benefits, but sure. <laughs> So yeah, no, it was, it was a fun experiment and we're not like opposed to VC. And I think we're, we're like, we might eventually get into VC funding. Um, but that's where we're going to be at to come in the fall. We're going to evaluate whether our next round is going to be taking VC money or doing that front funder uh, initiative that we originally looked into or a combination. Yeah. Um, how did you manage to differentiate your product then from all of the other um, really interesting companies who are crowdfunding right now? I think it's the story and like the catch line, your video is always going to be super important. 
So a few things like we heard back from our video is people really resonated with the line. And it's so true because I don't spend enough time on my in my financial spreadsheets, but I'm like, we lead with impact numbers and not finance numbers. I love our impact numbers. We got a lot of feedback on the packaging and like we have the grain, grains rescued as the first line of the packaging. So most people feature like the benefits to the person, which is the second and third line is fiber and protein. But we put grains rescued as the top line and it's crafted sustainably in Vancouver uh, is like on the flour and crafted sustainably with upcycled barley flour is on the uh, mixes. So we've done a good job with the brand. So sustainable kind of has stood out. We haven't really muddied the waters with what we're doing. Like we've always been in line with being circular economy, always about the product. It's always been like, everything's been off the flower. So even though some people are confused about it a little bit, like what's your product? I'm like, the product is actually the whole brand and an upcycled flour, cookie, waffle company, anything you can make from the flour. And so I think that was the fun thing about the Kickstarter is that like you get a little bit of everything. And another big thing is like the packages really did, didn't conflict with each other. I think that's some people like, you'll see some Kickstarters where there's like 30 options and there's like $2 in between the options and you almost get like buyer's fatigue looking at them. For us, we made like a $20 option, $50, $100. So there's actually good segments and you got quite a bit more value the further you went up. So yeah, and then a lot of it, honestly, a lot of the Kickstarter came from our internal network and they just love the fact that it looked like we took a leap forward um, from where we were before the Kickstarter. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm such a sucker for packaging <laughs> and brand positioning, but so I guess we're all curious to know what is your plan going forward from here for you personally and for Sustainable? Yeah, so we're gonna get for Sustainable come the fall, it's going to be really doing a retail push. We had started it like Earth Days when we launched the product and we'd started it in spring and immediately some of the bigger companies, uh, bigger supermarkets were like, oh yeah, this product seems more like geared towards launching in the fall, which was like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, we did launch with a couple that were just like, no, no, this is so cool. We want to be like one of the first to launch it. But yeah, so we kind of, held back during the summer, which also gave us permission to take a bit of a break after a crazy long year, which is great. And so that's going to be the thing. There's a big retail push and then a big push on creating that upcycled, uh, dedicated upcycling food facility, um, which is probably going to be even more work, but that's the one we're most excited about because that's when the impact's really going to be able to show, like we're going to be able to produce way more. We're going to be able to wholesale to bakeries and stuff. We're going to like the community is going to be able to create different products off of the flour. And so that's what we really want. We're tired of having to produce it all ourselves. And we're looking to be able to collaborate more with that facility. So that'll be a big thing. And then myself, that's interesting. I feel like I'm so closely tied to sustainable that it's going to be mostly that. I'm looking forward to team sports kicking off again. Um, my soccer team has started playing a little bit. So I get to kick the ball around. I've learned how out of shape COVID made me. And like, yeah, I used to find 90 minutes of soccer was like the perfect amount. And I was like, it come out just perfect. And now 20 minutes and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, that's so exciting. Um, I'm very excited to now see if I can find any sustainable products at the grocery stores in this next year. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, we actually do have just one last question for you today. Um, we are, because our podcast is targeted more towards beginner investors, beginner um, people who are interested in the finance industry, we're wondering if you have any re go-to resources that you could recommend um, to people who want to learn more. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I'd say is for entrepreneurship nowadays, like I watch solo entrepreneurs and I just feel so bad. I'd say start talking about what problem you want to solve. If you don't have one, then go to spaces where other people are talking about their problems. And my first tip would be like, find somebody else who, who you can work on a problem with together. That'd be my first tip. Cause one, you also open yourself up to knowing when, if you're going to try and grow something, people want to know that you can work with other people and work as a team. So I'd say don't start out as a solopreneur would be my first tip. In terms of a book, I'm like, it's a super old one, but it was probably one of the, my favorites in terms of learning to sell better, but not just learning to sell better, but build better relationships, um, which help in business is How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's such a great book. I think it was written like over a hundred years ago though. But uh, yeah, it doesn't look so old because obviously they've renewed the book cover. But like the messaging behind it translates. And it's almost like if you're also looking to seek out mentors and stuff like that, that's why there's so many like new books to read. There's a lot out there. I feel like that's what most people recommend. But this book is almost like a relatable book that you can actually get mentors on because people in business 20, 30, 40 years ago, they read this book. And they'll probably be like, oh my goodness, you're like a 20 or 30 year old that's actually read this book, which is pretty cool because basically when you start a relationship you want to have something relatable and so if you can do it this is a great book to do it with and then my last tip would be like find spaces like accelerators incubators like the really beginner ones and just go and expose yourself if there's a hackathon go to a hackathon because those are like really quick insights into what entrepreneurship is going to be about a hackathon is like an amazing weekend experience where you get to basically bring a product to life in a weekend, you'll get to test which skills you're good at, you'll get to test which skills you suck at, and you should probably fill in with other people and partners. So yeah, those would be my three kind of go-to resources today. If you ask me a different day, I'd probably give me a different one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, I'm gonna have to read that book. I haven't heard of that one actually yet. So we'll make sure to link it in um, our podcast description for everyone else to find and read as well. Um, well, that concludes all of our questions for today's podcast. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and coming to meet us and chat with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love the, the energy and the, the chat it was so much fun. So and I'll have to get cookies into your hands. <laughs> I'm going to be at Hatch. So if you guys are actually physically on campus, make sure to touch base and we'll, we'll get you some. Yeah, we're looking forward to that next year. Uh, for sure, being on campus and the cookies. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, really, really love um, all these like key takeaways from today's episode. Um, health before wealth. I'm going to like keep that in my um, head now. I, I, I just love that quote. So cute. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I also just wanted to thank everyone uh, for listening today. And I hope that they found um, this podcast episode just as um, insightful as me and Carmen. Um, and if you did like it, please make sure that you have liked, subscribed, and downloaded on whatever platform you stream your podcast. And make sure that you're following along on the Red Thread LinkedIn page so you'll never miss an upcoming episode.